What's up guys and welcome back to the Sport Business Discovery, the podcast where I receive an expert from the sport business industry every episode to make you learn more. And today's guest is Zach Urbach, Director of Analytics for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Tune into the episode to know more about Zach's career, how he got in in the industry. Zach is actually a law student, so he went to law school, how he transitioned that into analytics. He started with the Mississauga Steel held in the OHL and later on joined the Blue Jackets as he was doing some analytics consulting with the team. We talk also a lot about passion, about analytics in general, how to understand analytics, how he sees analytics as not just numbers, but just general information and way more. So without further ado, let's go to the conversation with Zach. You actually graduated in 2018 from the Western University with a dual in business and law parallel. You did your GD also at the same time from 2016 to 2018. So I was wondering, coming from this background, what led you maybe more to the analytics department? What was kind of like a that switch and how it was after with your first job in analytics? Yeah, so um, I want to say I was in my third year of university. Um, at the time. Okay, so just to give you a bit of background, my university. So I went to University of Western and I was doing a traditional undergraduate degree, like a four-year program. Um, And I did their business program at the Ivy Business School. And the way that worked is your first two years was normal school. And then your third and fourth year are at this like special school called Ivy for business. And when I was in my third year, I was thinking, okay, like everyone else is looking at jobs in like investment banking, um, and private equity and mostly in finance and some in other operations and marketing and so much like so much in the corporate world. And I sort of thought to myself, like, I don't know if I really want to be in the corporate world, like if that's necessarily what I'm passionate about or would enjoy doing. And we took a course that was called decision making with data and analytics. And before that, I didn't have much of a background in data. I mean, I did some math and whatnot, but I wasn't like a statistician by any means. But that course sort of forced me to learn a lot of these things. And so I remember right before the exam, I was thinking to myself, oh, God, like I'm screwed. Like I have no idea what's going on in this class. And it was a really complex class because like when you're new to data and analytics, it's sort of like it's a foreign language. And, you know, and so to self sort of teach myself right before the exam, I'm sort of scrambling. I said, "Okay, like I got to learn this stuff. And at simultaneous to that NHL um analytics was sort of starting to gain some momentum like it had always sort of existed but people weren't really so passionate about it people were starting to be passionate about it so there's a lot of literature online and blogs and stuff like that where i was reading it and i'm like wait this concept so- sounds familiar it's sort of similar to what we we're doing in this class and and from there i was able to go oh okay i see the connection they're making and so the way i sort of prepared for the exam is i learned a lot about hockey analytics as sort of like I was interested in it so it was like a fun way of learning but it would really I was trying to learn my own course and so I ended up doing really well on that exam surprising myself because going into it I was like there's no way I'm going to even pass this exam and ended up like acing it and so I was like wow like I was learned analytics and I was doing it in a passionate way like in hockey and and I said to myself like I want to work in hockey I think but I don't know in what capacity and so I started reaching out to some agents because I thought maybe, hey, I'll be an agent. I was considering writing my LSATs, which is the sort of like admission exam for, for law school. 
And a lot of the agents I spoke to were basically telling me that, you know, the one area where you could help me right now is with analytics because everyone's talking about it and I have no clue what they're talking about. And so that summer I'd written, or sorry, the summer prior, like I was going into school, I'd written my LSATs. And so because I was at this Ivy business program, I was able to apply for law school and join law school a year early. So instead of going to fourth year university, I went straight to law school. And then my, so I went to law school in fourth year university and then in fifth and sixth year university it was a combined business in law. And so that bought me, like the way I look at it is that sort of bought me time to sort of determine what I wanted to do uh, those extra years, because I always knew in the worst case scenario, if this hockey doesn't work out, it can be a, a work in law or work in business. So I was like fortunate to be in that position. But throughout my time of university from third year onwards, I was interning or consulting and working with, you know, agents. And then eventually I realized, you know, I don't know if I really want to be an agent, but maybe I want to work in hockey still. So I started doing stuff with some junior teams and some of the agents I worked with connected me with NHL teams to help them. And it sort of just snowballed from there. And it was awesome. Like, I mean, it was being in the right place at the right time for sure in a lot of different ways. I don't know if it would have uh, transpired the way it did had I, gone through that process today because analytics is a bit more um, advanced and prominent and there was a lot less of an appetite for like is there anyone who could do this because now there's a lot of people who can do it so it was an opportunity yeah for sure and i think it just provided a great advice of how to use your network just to get get it through afterwards even if it wasn't like some like two departments that seems really linked but with the agents themselves you know you were able to make those connections analytics and then they, they they could help and you can use analytics many type of ways so i think that's actually perfect but if we circle back a bit can you tell us a bit more like in that course when you use uh, hockey examples uh, what were you dealing with what are like basic for analytics for people that may not know what are the main use who are you working with things like that yeah, so um, I this is actually like a, a tough question because I have this uh, like notion that analytics is like profoundly misunderstood. And so when people say analytics, what they think about is statistics. And when I think about analytics, what I think about is information, whether or not it's statistical data or it's, you know, okay, so let me give you an example. So analytics, a lot of people think like in hockey, they'll refer to like points per minute, let's say. So how many points are you scoring for every minute of ice time you're getting or points per 60 minutes of ice time? And that's a statistic, but it's also information. So it falls into the analytics umbrella. But another form of information that falls under that umbrella is also a scout who doesn't have any idea what the data is, is watching that player and going, he's lazy on the back check. So that's another form of information. So I have this idea in my head that like, Analytics is perceived as statistics, but really what it is, is it's taking all the information that's available and putting it together and saying like, okay, like what is the strategic implications or what type of ideas can we generate based off of this information? And I know that didn't really answer your question, which is sort of like, what are the most relevant sort of statistics and tools and whatnot? But I don't think there is a single answer. And I think that analytics departments in NHL organizations and other sports organizations are going to grow beyond just you know, you need to be a coder or you need to be, um, go to Excel or with R or with other forms of statistical research. What I really think it comes down to is what's your niche? What are you good at? And for me, what I was personally good at was in addition to taking all that information, putting it together was sort of communicating it in ways to people who aren't familiar with what, what's going on behind the scenes. 
like what's happening in the, what what is they can't look through the data themselves or they don't have the time to do so and it's all new and foreign and explaining to them what it is why it matters and how they can use it um, and so a thing that i always suggest for people who want to be more of an explainer or a communicator in addition to your communication skills like verbally you need to definitely be good at visualizations because i think visualizations like a picture can say a thousand words very quickly and efficiently um, but for some people, they're more on the programming side and they want to do some of the database work or they want to do some of the statistical research work. So there's totally different paths within an analytics department that you can take. But really, whatever you pursue, my suggestion would just be to be really good at it. And the best way to be good at it, I think, is to be passionate about it. Okay, yeah, great. And I think also what you provided is really a good understanding of what analytics is. Even me, I, I also perceive it more aesthetic state of the basis but it's more like like you said information is the key word and just that it's not all about the statistics but it's also that things that are beyond statistics and just some it's a the, the mix of all the information that is collected to use it to do a business decision or consult or advice or whatever it may be and i was wondering you spoke about a bit before about the like some people think you got to be some crazy coder or whatever so i was wondering what it was for you when you started back then do you have maybe any um coding statistic notions or not at all I, I was not very advanced in the statistics and coding front i did a like tiny bit but i wouldn't say like it's not something that i would really advertise as a skill of mine at the time um i did most of my work in excel which you know for some people who are advanced into statistics they laugh at that and go like that's so basic but you can't even do anything in there but compared to what was happening at the time it was an enormous improvement and so um, I think that you don't necessarily, like I said, need to have any particular skill set because there's room for many skill sets in an organization. So in our organization right now, we have somebody who's a phenomenal programmer. And so there's no reason for me to try to, you know, displace his skill set. Instead, let's use him to his strengths. He's a phenomenal programmer. Let's let him program because he's really good at it. And then we can, I think the mo more important thing than actually having the hard skills necessarily are to understand what strengths you have and what weaknesses you have and to use yourself to your strengths use others to their strengths and hide their weaknesses if that makes sense because again like in an organization there's multiple people it's the idea that one person is going to come in and do all of your analytics or statistics is just sort of like it's antiquated yeah and, and for you being the director of the department i guess you, you kind of act like a, the gym or whatever the team just assembling people together so they can do they can be used with their strength yeah with their best abilities so i was wondering could you give a bit more uh, insights about what are the people doing in the department maybe what are the main areas what are your employees doing and stuff like that so we work with a few different consultants who um, have different jobs and expertise and um, one of them helps a lot with visualizations and so building and building tools. So for example, we'll have um, a player evaluation dashboard that will contain all the important information that we want to communicate to the, you know, to the general manager, to the coach or whatnot. And it's available for them as a tool to play around with. So we have somebody who's really focused on that. We have another um, person who's really focused on building a database, our programmer, who has a phenomenal database. It's really well done. 
Um, and within that database, there's a couple things. There's tools within that database you can use, but and there's information you can seek out in that database. But having the flexibility of a database also allows him to um, identify certain things that we maybe ask him to look for because the database is already built. It's not this enormous task. It's how many players have done they have scored 20 goals in the last five years. I mean, that's like a basic, basic question, but just you can search for information much easier when you have that available. And then we have another consultant who is has a background in finance and also was, you know, in, in hockey too, but in finance. And so he brings a lot of um, financial modeling skills and thinking through things through um, sort of more of a valuation lens. And I think cumulatively our department together works very, very well with one another. And we end up with in a very good position where we're confident in what we're saying, what our strategic ideas are and what tools we're able to provide to the organization. But I think also there's two types of organizations and there's some that have analytics as sort of a department. And it's sort of like the analytics department, you leave them alone and they're their own thing and we're competing, the scouts feel like we're competing against them. And in our organization, sort of ingrained where it's sort of like, we have some scouts who I could say like, you're like the analytics guy too, because you use our tools, you use our information, we speak each other's languages, we communicate constantly about data and ideas and research projects and whatnot. And, and for me personally, like I'm also on the pro scouting side. And so it's like both sides are sort of merged together. And for me, that is the best way of going about things. Just sort of it's it's not like it's a standalone department. It's not like it's an isolated part of the organization. It's another part of the team. And so there's the analytics, the scouts, but we're all in the same room together debating ideas. And maybe we have different perspectives on ideas, but at least we understand where the other one's coming from, why they think the way they do. And we're able to have dialogue about different ideas. Um, whether or not you're like, if you're not in the analytics department, that doesn't mean you can't contribute to the analytics department. Yeah, for sure. And I think also what is something that is important to clarify is that this is more, even though I guess it depends from organization to organization, but this will be more analytics for uh, making management decision because you can have analytics for sales, you can have analytics for all kinds of other department. So yeah, I think this is just one thing to clarify. And on that, do you have uh, with the Blue Jackets some people that work in analytics for other departments or do you help them sometimes? Yeah, so we have business, uh, on the business side of things, they have, I, I think like their own form of, you know, sales analytics and marketing analytics, but we don't actually overlap with the business side. So we're solely on the hockey operations department and then the business department does their own thing. So I don't really know what they're doing on the analytics side and they're not involved in what we are doing. And I, I just couldn't really answer that for you other than your question. No, that's perfect. And for you, when you started initially as an analytics consultant, how it was, what were the kind of things that the teams were asking you? Were you working with those analytics department? Like you have some consultants now? So I got my start working with the agents and working with the agents, what they were looking for was sort of a report that was curated towards their player. And so let's say their player was Connor McDavid and Connor McDavid is a free agent. And so they're trying to get a new contract for him. And so in those negotiations, they're trying to build the most advantageous case for their player. And so the ask was to sort of go through the analytics and try to identify what their strengths are so that we can 
create a report to communicate that to the general manager. And sometimes the general manager would just go, okay, well, our organization has delivered this report back to the agent to say why they're wrong. And then it's like a back and forth. And then I went to, I consulted for some NHL teams after that. And a lot of it was sort of research projects and also just having me available for my opinion on things. Sort of like, hey, we're thinking about trading for this player. What do you think? Um, and I would just give them my analysis or sometimes I would provide suggestions. But when I worked in Mississauga in the OHL, I built out a pretty large department. Um, and we were very invested in analytics at the draft, uh, with the trades, with strategy, with coaching, like in all fronts, like I think very advanced at the time. And we had an enormous staff. Um, we had a really, like at one point, I think we had close to 40 people. And what we were doing at the time was because data wasn't available, like it wasn't being tracked by anyone, we had manual manually tracked games throughout the league. So we had a whole template and um, a schedule for different people to go, okay, you're going to do the Barry Colts game, you're going to do the Kitchener Rangers game, here's how you do it. We had quality control mechanisms and we had this enormous database that I always used to joke, like we have more information on our opponents than they have on themselves. So we know more about how they're using their ice time and who's generating the most scoring chances and setting up the most shots, which defensemen are best of the zone exits and zone denials and all these different things. And we ended up applying that to coaching. We ended up applying that to, like I said, all fronts. And we ended up uh, doing pretty well because of it, because we had a, an enormous competitive advantage at the time because other teams didn't have this information. Now I think most teams have started uh, doing something similar to what we had done in Mississauga. So I think most teams, if not every team now, has data trackers, they call it, or departments doing that. And now there's some technology companies that also offer those as services. But this wasn't very long ago. I mean, this was like five years ago, but no one was doing it until everyone started doing it or a lot of people started recognizing the value of, again, information. Like if you didn't track point, I always joke, if you didn't have points as a statistic, points isn't a perfect statistic. Just because you have more points than me doesn't mean you're a better player. However, it's important to have that information because imagine if you didn't and we were the first team to start collecting points, we'd be like, wow, this guy gets a lot of assists but never gets credit. And so like it was things like that we were able to pluck what I call low-hanging fruit, like the easiest things to, the easiest uh, market inefficiencies to take advantage of. Okay, great. And if more, a uh, question more on the, the individual side, do you think when somebody asks you uh, to consult or your opinion on a trade or whatever, were you somebody that based yourself mostly strictly on the statistics and what you had, or you were also like of this personal side or personal bias that I think also is necessary because you need the understanding of the game as a human being too. I think also you mentioned before that it's not just strictly about statistics and numbers, but it's also about all kind of information. So I was wondering, maybe I know a bit the answer, but I was still wondering uh, your answer on this. Started um, for a lot of them. It was, my opinion wasn't very valuable. My, the, the statistics and the information that I can gather was. So I tried to, what I would, like, I mean, everything is sort of, there's nothing that's actually objective. Um, everything is subjective. And the reason I say that is because if I wanted to put up an objective report, meaning like I wanted to just deliver the statistics, the fact that I am the person selecting which statistics to include and which ones not to include makes it subjective. Like I might choose, okay, we're only going to include points or we're only going to include goals. We're going to ignore assists. I mean, yes, it's an objective statistic, but I was also the one curating that. So it's sort of subjective. 
And so there's that. So, I mean, I would, when I, anyways, this is unnecessary, but when I start, when I started, I was just delivering the information. I'd say, here's the information. If you want my opinion, you can ask for it. But based off this data alone, here's what it is. But over time and now in Columbus and when I was in Mississauga, I mean, it's everything is my opinion. And my opinion is informed on the data. And so I'll try to, when I explain things, I'll say, this player has this data. However, my understanding of this player, he plays with these line mates in this situation and so on and so forth. So it's really just my opinion. But my opinion isn't driven by data. It's informed by data. Okay, great. And before you talked a bit about the Mississauga Steelheads, which is a hockey club in the OHL. So can you tell me a bit more about how it was when you worked with them, what it was maybe what you enjoyed the most there or what you liked the least? I love working in the OHL. Um, what I liked the least about the OHL was the lack of coverage. It was difficult to watch games on TV. It was uh, difficult to find, like, when you're when, when you work for a team, you're also obsessed, or, like, at least for me, like, I was so passionate about it, I was so obsessed about it. I wanted to read what the bloggers were saying and what, you know, the message boards were saying. Like, I wanted to know what people were saying about not just Mississauga, but the OHL. Like, I wanted to be, in to, like, to, dialed in, I guess. But there wasn't a ton of resources available, and that was probably the, the worst part of it. The best part of it was the ability to be very hands-on and work very closely with a great group of guys in Mississauga, like the other staff, the coaching staff there and the management staff. I love working with them. And one of the things I loved about the OHL, in addition to, like it, it had its own sort of rule book, which meant there was like things that you could exploit or strategic ideas that you could implement that aren't necessarily able to be implemented in other leagues just because they have their own sort of rules and frameworks. But the other thing that I really liked about it is an, an entire career for an OHL player, the longest career they can have is five seasons. But for most players, it's three or four years. And so what I say is sort of the cycle of an organization is very short. So in four years, you got to experience what is the equivalent to in the NHL experiencing like a 20-year cycle. Because a player, if a player's career is 20 years in the NHL, it's only four years in the OHL, it's like five times quicker. And so within, like even the growth you would see in players within a season, like you would have a player who was 16 years old and they started the season, it's like there's no way they can play in this league. And then halfway through the year, you're like, oh, they're not bad. And then by the end of the year, they're like your best player. Um, and so that's really, and that's because they're going through puberty, they're growing, they're 16 years old. Like, um, And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed working in the OHL. Um, I'd love to, like if I wasn't working in the NHL, I'd love to be back working in the OHL. Okay, nice. Cool that you can have also great experience there. And often I think people think about the NHL or if it's in football on the NFL, whatever, they think also the big league, but the amount of fun that you can have in the little leagues also um, doesn't have to be underestimated. Um, but I think also when you pointed that you wanted to know everything about your, the team, I think it's important also because it's it, we can relate it back to the information that you said even what the fans things what the media things ultimately is going to also play a bit in the information let's say maybe not for strictly statistical reason but for uh, if a player did this thing or that thing out of the eyes that put him not in a good spot and um you know that his media image is not that good well you're going to take in consideration also with your decision too. So actually that thing that's even if we don't have to always put our mind like a hundred percent, like focused on what the media said or whatever, I think that just 
being uh, aware of what they say and or what they say sometimes or uh, like just yeah a bit, a bit aware is really good and when you were with the steel ads you were uh, promoted uh, after you started to director of player evaluation and assistant gm so I was wondering was that a big change with what you did before it was just more like you were i guess a bit more con- counseling and doing more advices with the gm directly than saying like maybe they like you said before they cared more about your personal opinion than just about the data that you were able to get out yeah and i think yeah that's exactly it and also at the same time i mean i was more confident in what i was saying when i came in i was you know excited about what i was saying but my confidence in it was not as high because I didn't understand the OHL when I came in. I mean, I understood the OHL, but I didn't understand it like a, an expert would. Um, there was nuances of that league that I didn't quite understand. And so a lot of what I was saying was more generalizations. Like on average, these types of things matter or these things like these are tactical ideas or trade ideas and whatnot. And this guy's a good player. But over time, you get more familiar with what you're doing. You just get better at what you're doing. And so I felt that I was very good at what I was doing when I was at the time I was promoted. Um, I felt it was a good time to be promoted because I felt like I was getting pretty good at it, but I got better, I found, every single year. So by the end of it, I was like, wow, I'm like really good at what I'm doing. And I would look back on what I did last year and go, oh, I wasn't that good at last year. But the year before, I did the same thing where I was like, wow, I'm really good right now. But I look back at the year before and I go, oh, I can't believe I said that. And so it's a continuous process of being better um, and just growing and improving. And my whole thing was, my goal was to every single year, raise the bar per se and so if in year one i came in and i did a good job like i wasn't like okay next year you're gonna come in and do a good job the same way i was gonna do everything i did well from that year but try to say okay what's one step further i can take this and then again what's one step further from that i can take this and so that was sort of my prerogative as i was going through the ohl was just like i'm learning i'm having fun i want to be the best i can do but i want to blow the people away that i'm working with every single year so it's like wow like you brought us a new idea or a new tool or a new strategy every single year and so that was sort of my goal and how do you think you gave yourself the tools to do that how do you just keep on learning and learning and learning and learning well like i said uh, initially i think a lot of it comes down to just being passionate about it this was something i wanted to do not something i was doing because i had to do it it wasn't like a like a job for me, it was a passion. And that came back to what I was saying with like the media. I didn't really care what the media said or what other fans were saying in terms of, oh, I should implement what they're telling me. It was more of just like, as a, like I was working there, but I was also a fan at the same time. Like I was in London at Western and I would drive in an hour and a half or two hours to go to a game and drive right back. And I was like, for some people, they're like, oh, I can't believe you would just do that. And for me, I was like, what do you mean? I was so excited. We just traded for this player and I got to see him play live like right away. And um, so like I was just excited about what I was doing and I think because of the passion it was sort of like my hobby so it'd be like it'd be two in the morning and I'm in bed I'm like wow I just got this great idea like I should implement it next year or whatever nice and when you were high with the blue jackets after would you say that it was kind of like a similar process of going through and then getting up and getting up your confidence and just having more confidence in what you said Definitely. It was the same thing. I mean, um, I started as a consultant for them and came in on one draft and, you know, I, I, I thought I was good, but I also said some things that now I cringe back on and so on and so forth. 
but again like the idea like i said raise the bar every year every single year what can you like i didn't want to just be complacent in my job it would be very easy to say you know i've established myself and here's what i do and that's what i do but every year i want to bring something fresh and new and better to the table so i'm constantly pushing myself to do that but again it's not because of anything other than the fact that i'm passionate about it and I enjoy doing it. If I ever stopped enjoying what I was doing, I probably wouldn't be nearly as good at it. Like I can imagine for someone who's done the same job for so many years, you go start going through the motions and you're good at it and you're quick because you've done it for so long, but you lose the the passion to be better. And I think if you lost that passion, it's very, very difficult to, to do your job well. Okay, actually something that just popped off in my mind, you were speaking about just getting continually better and sometimes having an idea. I was wondering, how do you think technology helps you and the evolution of technology helps you just maybe discover some new statistics or some new strategies, some new ways to see the data, whatever it would be? Yeah, I think for the most part, it's not necessarily what's happening on the data side that's changing. Data might not be that different. I mean, you can make more advanced data, but that may not necessarily make a difference. And so let me explain to you my thought process behind this. So for me, the number one strategy is to get buy-in. The number one goal, sorry, not strategy, is to get buy-in on what we're doing. And every year you continuously get more and more as people, if you do a good job and people start going, okay, well, you said we should have done this. We didn't do it. And now in hindsight, we should have done that. Or you said we shouldn't have done this. We ignored you, like we listened, but we chose to do something different. And it turns out you were right in hindsight. So when you have those sort of opportunities to prove yourself, your, your work sort of speaks for yourself and you gain more buy-in. And then for me, it wasn't necessarily like reinventing the wheel on what we're doing on the data side. A lot of it was reinventing the wheel in how we approach things. And so saying not necessarily like, hey, remember that draft model we had last year? It was all bad. We have a way better one this year. Instead, it was, here's a new visualization tool to help you understand the value of it. Or here's a different way of communicating the value. Or um, you build relationships with people in the organization. I mean, building relationships is one of the most important parts of working in an organization. Like, just because you do good work doesn't necessarily mean your good work will be appreciated. Because there's, you know, let's say you want to work with a head scout and the head scout is just like, I fucking hate, sorry, I hate that guy. Um, so I can't work with him. Um, I mean, that happens in other organizations. I know that for a fact. And so for me, building these relationships and whatnot has been important. On the technology side, I think that we've gotten some more sophisticated technological tools, but it hasn't really totally changed things. And so let's say you have a player evaluation tool and it identifies just pretend the top 100 players well okay now you have better technology and you re recreate that list maybe you have five different players changed on that list or a few different rankings change here and there but you shouldn't be in a situation where a guy who was ranked 200 is now ranked second in the league and then you're like wow we were totally off base it's like incremental benefit and so it doesn't really change things that much instead what you change is sort of what are the strategic ideas but on the technological side like having um this company sport logic is awesome uh they basically track a lot of the advanced statistics for us so we don't have to manually do it and link it all up with a video which makes it really really helpful for working with coaches or or having arguments in a constructive way with scouts about ideas and whatnot um, and then the other thing that's really fascinating me right now on the technological side is ai 
and different ways of implementing AI in our organization. And there's so many different ideas that that could be its, its own podcast in itself. And that the rate of innovation happening in AI, any idea you have today, it might be like doable tomorrow. And then in two days, it's like, wow, there's a way better way of doing it. So that's going to be a really exciting front. And for me, the most interesting thing right there is just how you can optimize uh, different strategies, but also how you can quickly identify and gather the information you need immediately, like at a moment's notice. So I can say, we need a left-handed shot defenseman that fits in our salary cap and is an expiring UFA. And the artificial intelligence isn't going to do anything that your staff couldn't do, but it's going to do it like that instead of, all right, let's wait a few days and think it through. Like it just immediately processes information. And so your productivity can shoot through the roof. And so that really excites me about artificial intelligence right now on the technological side. Okay, great. And yeah, they just released, I think, a few days ago, the date we're recording, ChatGPT 4.0. I haven't tried it yet, but apparently the amount of like data access that it has is like through the roof. And even I think maybe you can tell me more. I don't know if you, you've tried about what it can do, but with the version, I think, was 3 or 3.5. They could still do, like, basic comparison. Like, let's say I could ask, like, uh, oh, compare me the last game, the last 500 games of, of Edgekin and the last 500 game of Crosby and with this this statistics. And the thing is, like, yeah, I can go on HockeyDB and look at it myself, but if I just check at it, I'll have it way faster. So actually, do you guys uh, use, or maybe not this type specifically of artificial intelligence, but other types? I said, I mean, something that would take an hour takes a second. And what that means is in an hour, you could have like a month's work of research done instantly, which is like uh, phenomenal. The problem right now with with JotGBT, with for example, or GPT-4 rather, is it's a large language model. And so it's really good with understanding words, but it's not nearly as good with understanding numbers and data. And so it can do math, for example, but if you ask it, hey, what are Crosby's statistics over the last 10 years, it might hallucinate and give you numbers that aren't right. And it's like, well, why did you do that? But it's obvious where this thing is going in the sense of like, you know, in a year, two years, three years, like it's really easy to, to, predict how an organization might use it for research purposes. I mean, it's basically having your own personal assistant slash Google for searching for any information you want. I mean, imagine down the road when the AI can develop tactics for you, where it can look at where your players are positioned on the ice, what shot they have, it understands their skill set and goes, okay, your power play structure would be better off like this, and you're better off making these passes than those passes. And it can sort of, you know, there's infinite sort of possibilities for how it can be useful and helpful. And that really excites me because when you're doing something, like for me, I get excited by stuff that is new. Some people find it intimidating, and I understand that, but for me, it really excites me. And so I look at it and go, over the next few years, there's going to be some teams that invest a lot in AI. There's going to be some teams that invest nothing in AI, but the teams that gain a competitive advantage are the teams not necessarily that spend the most on AI, but the teams that implement it the best and recognize the subtleties of where and nuance, where you can implement it, how you can leverage it. Um, and again, like I don't look at it immediately as a human uh, staff replacement. I look at it as a productivity augmenting tool. 
Yeah, for sure. I think the one that would understand it the most will get the most benefit out of it. And that said, I think also that I understand people that intimated, like for me, let's say my teachers, a lot of them are afraid by ChatGPT uh, because you can write essay and stuff. I do understand, but I think that whoever you may be, especially if you're a young individual coming in the industry, you should be excited or at least see it as a tool because it's not something that is going to go away. You know, it's only going to get better and better. I don't think there's going to be somebody someday going to say, no, we stop and uh, nothing. No, it's just going to keep up evolving. So if you can use it at your advantage and see how it can make you better, make you more efficient or whatever, it can be really useful for sure. And you mentioned also before SportLogic. SportLogic is Montreal-based also, so that's always nice. If I, I saw sometimes, so if you guys are listening and you're close to Montreal, sometimes SportsLogic have some type of offers to do, like you said, link uh, analytics to video. I spoke to some guy that were there, and they also have a pretty um, strict or I think it's like six or eight weeks training. So don't worry about it. If you don't know too much about analytics, they'll teach you. Anyway, so for you with your job as a director, um, can you name me more what are the responsibilities that you do? You talked about sometimes before that some individual may not get along. How do you deal with those issues? Um, in terms of not getting along, I think like that's really on them. I mean, well, it's on me, I guess. If, if someone in my department's not getting along with someone in our organization, that's my fault. And so I need to either deal with that individual and try to solve that problem, or I shouldn't have hired that individual in the first place. Like, I don't, I think that hiring is one of the most, single most important um, factors for determining the success of an organization. I mean, you need to hire the right people, and it's not necessarily just the best people in terms of talent. They need to fit in your organization because you can have the best models in the world, but if no one wants to use them, what's the value of them? And so we don't have a lot of organizational conflict. I think our organization is very collaborative and works well together. So it's not really a, a problem that we've had to deal with. And so I can't really answer that. Um, but just in general, in terms of what my responsibilities are as the director, I oversee our analytics department. I'm the liaison between, I mean, some people, sometimes people in our department can speak to a scout without my permission. I don't mean to say it that way, but I'm sort of like the main Lord liaison from the analytics department towards um, our management group and uh, helping our general manager make better informed decisions at the trades or free agents or strategic directions, how to manage the cap or working with our coaches. Um, I help prepare coaches for games. I help, I try to talk to them about different ideas and tactics and whatnot, but it's sort of like, there's no sort of simple job description. It's more of what you make of the opportunity. Like I look in hockey as you can look at one person with a title and their job might be completely different than someone else with the same title. And maybe their basic like the expect like there's a bare minimum which you're responsible for but then how do you go well above and beyond that if that's what your organization wants out of you so in organization a they might call somebody a scout and everyone else calls them a scout but the person organization a is refers to as a scout is actually like one of their single most important people in the organization but they're just called a scout whereas in another organization they might have a scout who all they do is they go to games they write reports and they have no contact whatsoever otherwise and so titles in hockey are sort of funny like that but for me personally director of analytics it's working with our analytics group to help our organization make the best informed 
decisions whether on all fronts, coaching, salary cap management, trade, strategy, draft, everything. Okay, and can you give me maybe more for somebody is still like wondering more how it is somebody in your department that is starting or at the entry level position, what type of situation could they work with or maybe more like a, a frame hockey example, maybe with one of the, the current player of the Blue Jackets? Well, so our organization, or sorry, our department doesn't work directly with the players. We leave that up for the coaching staff. And so we might communicate things to the coaching staff, but let them deal with the players. Like it's, you know, the players, there are so many staff available and too many, like you don't want to have too many people telling them two different things. Like it's best if it's consistent, if information is coming from the coaching staff to them. And so we don't really deal with the players, but in terms of what someone in an entry level role in an analytics department would typically be doing, um, I think that, again, it comes back to what we talked about originally, which is sort of what is your expertise, what is your skill set, what is your role and responsibility. And so if you're, you know, on the programming side and the entry level, you might be given research projects or database building projects. If you're on the analysis side, again, it might be pro for a lot of the entry level roles, it would a lot of be projects. You'd be getting instruction from like myself or someone else in the organization and saying, hey, like, we want to research trends at the draft and here's what we're looking for. Go nuts and give us your research or um, we need you to build this tool and whatnot and you'll have some oversight and whatnot. But again, it's hard to describe the entry level job just because there's no set framework. I always tell people who want to work in the industry. I mean, like I said earlier, just make the most of it, like go well above and beyond what your expectations are if you want to be doing more than whatever your your job is like if you're totally okay with just being what you are just do what you do and be great at it but if you want to do more like i love working with people who and we we have these with our consultants who push the envelope constantly which bring new ideas forward without being asked to and come up with their own ideas and research and it's not like i don't look at it as sort of in our department i'm the boss and you're my employees it's sort of like I have the title, but we're all collaborating together. Like we're all, it's not like, hey, I'm the boss and you're my you're my employee and I'm telling you what to do and blah, blah, blah. It's like, we're working together and we're all trying, we're, we're working towards a common goal. And so it's not like a hierarchy like that. It's much more collaborative. Okay, nice. And what do you think are maybe essentials for a successful career in analytics or somebody to really want to establish themselves in the department, what do you think, or maybe uh, in the hiring process, why are you looking for? And again, this one's, again, it's a tough one because it comes down to what skill sets we're hiring for. But for me, I think that the most important thing is um, you have to be easy to work with. Um, if you're like hockey is a little bit different than the business world, like me and the rest of our staff, like we have a group chat and we're just constantly talking like, hey, would you see that goal in that Kings game the other night or Oh, what do you think about this trade that just happened or signing or do you see the highlight like so we're just talking like we're sort of like friends and that's the best because like i said i think the best is when you're dialed in when you have that passion and so being easy to work with is definitely important and having not necessarily you don't have to be the most social guy in the world and have the phenomenal people skills but you can't be someone who alienates people around you because then you don't get any receptive and, and buy-in and then again, just being passionate and being good at what you're doing, whatever it is you're doing. It doesn't matter what your skill set is, as long as you're really good at it, there's value in that. So if I was trying to tell someone what they should be good at is just, you want to like, 
You want to make the people you work with feel like their job is easier and more enjoyable because you're involved. You want to bring them, if that's your job, is you bring them new ideas and concepts and not just do exactly what is asked of you. Um, but at the same time, you have to understand your role and stay within those limits. So, for example, if you're an entry-level employee and you know you have a friend in the media who's like, "Hey, like, let's talk," and you just start leaking all this insider information, you're not doing your job. So, you know, you have to recognize your role too. Okay, perfect, great advice. And maybe on some other advice in your career, you manage a lot. I find at the same time you were doing. Hey, JD, at the same time, you were consulting for some NHL teams. You also done, uh, you also been articling student law. So I was wondering, how did you kind of manage and go through all this? Maybe, um, I think you, you spoke about passion before, and I think it's way easier when you're passionate to do those things. But what is maybe one advice you have more on the time management side? Well, so the toughest year for me was the year I was articling. And articling, for those who don't know, is sort of like your first year is working as a lawyer. But in Canada, technically, you don't get called a lawyer until you finish a year of apprentice, like working as a lawyer. But when you article, you're, even though you're entry level sort of like lawyer, the mo you that's the time you work the most, not the least. You're the least advanced, so you get the most on your plate. So that was an incredibly busy year. And I was working at a really uh, big law firm where the expectations were very high. And so doing that, in addition to working with Mississauga, and in addition to consulting with the Columbus Blue Jackets at the time, I was working sort of three jobs at once. That was probably the most difficult year of my life, and I wouldn't suggest anyone to do it. I mean, I didn't sleep very much. And, uh, you know, I remember I'd be at the law firm. I'd get there at 8 a.m. I'd leave at 6 p.m. to go to Mississauga, watch a game, come back. It's 10 p.m. and then go back to the office until 1 a.m. and then do three hours of work until 4 a.m. for the Blue Jackets. And it was just crazy. Like I couldn't do that. It wasn't sustainable. But what I knew was it was temporary. And so and because I was passionate about hockey, it was sort of like it was it was a tough year. So I wouldn't suggest that to anyone. But again, like you said, uh, and like I said earlier, it just comes down to your passion. And I think that it's hard to balance many things at once. But if you look at anyone, what they're doing in their life, like look at what's the top three things that consume most of your time throughout your life. And, you know, it's probably your job is number one and sleeping, obviously, and ignore sleep for a second. But pro people who have a hobby, maybe it's video games, maybe it's playing chess, maybe it's an instrument, maybe it's, you know, exercising, whatever it is. If you're passionate about it, you make time for it. And for me, hockey, I was so passionate about and the analytics side, I was so passionate about that. It was like all I was thinking about in my free time was that. And sort of I isolated a lot of my life to only focus on it because I was so busy with the other stuff while I was at the law firm. But if you're passionate about it, you'll make the time for it. Yeah, I'm curious how you're still alive. I mean, what a crazy run. But that paid off as uh, you were rewarded uh, by the top 40 under 40 by The Athletic. And with that, how did it feel when you received this award when all your hard work was recognized? Yeah, that was really cool. I mean, it wasn't something I was expecting or or what's what whatever. I mean, I got a I woke up that morning to a text from our assistant general manager at the time, Bill Zito, and uh, now he's the GM of Florida, and he's like, "Oh, you're big shot now," and a bunch of other messages. And I'm like, "What the hell? What went on?" And like, I opened my phone, I'm like, "What? Why am I getting all these messages?" And I checked the article, I'm like, "Wow, that was pretty cool to be uh, recognized and put on that list." But uh, for me, I mean, like, I, I, I'm not someone who necessarily needs to be validated by the outside perception. And so I'm ha I think some people are um, much more vocal with media and try to be involved with the media and try to get that recognition. And for me, 
uh, I'm less focused on that and I'm more focused on internally within our organization, the people that I'm working with, do they appreciate my, my work rather than do people outside of the organization appreciate my work? So uh, for me, it was like obviously very cool and it was exciting and I was happy to have that. But the most important thing for me was knowing that the reason I was on that list was not because the media just found out about me. It was because people in my organization told them like, this guy is doing his job really well and we're really happy with him. And for me, that was the most, the best part because it was not the media was happy with me. It was that the people in my organization were so happy with me that they were willing to tell the media that. And so that was sort of like my perception of that. Okay, great. So yeah, the people definitely like my, my, my teacher said, you got to know those people in the business, but the people got to think highly of you. That's super important because if they don't recognize you for your work, then you won't get far. And that's it for today's episode. I want to thank Zach again for coming in on the show to share with us his insight about analytics and share with us also his career journey. And I want to invite everybody who love what they listen to to rate, review and subscribe as this really helps me for the referencement of the show. That's it for the episode, guys. Have a good one. Have a good week and see you next episode. Bye.